Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of The Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm excited for you to join me for a magical discussion of one of my favorite characters in media and in myth, and yeah, also his sometimes brother, oftentimes foil. Um, Yes, we're talking about Loki and Thor and the rest of the Norse pantheon as they're depicted in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the North Pantheon is having quite a moment right now because they're gods that are important to pagans all over the world, especially heathens who specifically work with that pantheon. But they're also characters starring in a billion dollar movie franchises that are popular around the world. And right now, the Disney Plus series Loki just aired its fourth episode. Um, We discussed this after the third episode is aired, so there's no spoilers for episode four. And it is a great series, so Loki is very much in everyone's mind right now. So how do we balance these two things, and can we find divine sparks and inspiration in these very commercial films? What are these characters like in comparison to their myths, and are they true to the myths, and does that matter, and how do they inspire people? Also, we're disclosing up Pride Month, and the Norse pantheon and their mythology is actually really queer, and how does that queerness... Um, get reflected in their stories on screen, if at all. To discuss this, Siri Pluff, host of the Heathen's Journey podcast, joined me for an awesome talk about Thor, Loki, Odin, and all sorts of stuff at the intersection of heathenry and the MCU, and I hope you enjoy it. It was a really cool uh, discussion. Siri is awesome. They had so much to say and so much insight in the subject, so I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's our discussion of Loki, Thor, and the MCU. This one time when we were children, he... He transformed himself into a snake, and he knows that I love snakes. So I went to pick up the snake to admire it, and he transformed back into himself, and he was like, Yeah, it's me! And he stabbed me. We were eight at the time. Oh, yeah, right. I have been falling for 30 minutes! All right, (laughs) welcome, Siri Bluff, to the Real Magic Podcast. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited for our topic today. Um, Before we get into like why you're the perfect person to talk to about this topic, I always like to ask people like when we start out, since this is like about pop culture and magic, what was like the first piece of pop culture, like TV or movies that you like really remember as a kid, like that was sort of your gateway drug into maybe like making you feel like you could believe in magic or that was your first favorite magical media? Oh my God. There were so many. Um, I think probably Labyrinth Mm, and The Last Unicorn. Oh my God. Those are both so, I love those movies. We'll have you back on when we talk about those. Cause those are just like, if you, if you loved Labyrinth as a kid, you're either pagan or gay or both or queer. It's like, that's how it turns out. Yes, yes. I also really loved The Dark Crystal, I, um, which was a little like scarier. Um, <laughs> but I went to a, I remember going to a sleepover with a friend and everybody was like terrified after watching The Dark Crystal. And I was like, give me more. Yeah, The Dark <laughs> Crystal was definitely, I saw that I think when I was a bit too little and it did scare the crap out of me. But then Labyrinth came like right as I was like hitting puberty. It's like, oh, yes. Do I want to love my love with David Bowie or Jennifer Connelly or, or both of them? Like, I just want to go off and hang out with the goblins. Yes, it was a true bisexual awakening for me, let me tell you. Yeah, definitely. And oh, just, just seeing that kind of androgyny and almost subversive visuals of David Bowie on screen in like a kid's movie. It was such an awakening, like you said, it was so powerful and so entrancing. Like he, David Bowie was a magical creature who visited us for a while and it's moved on. And 
you know, but it was so important for so many of us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But so we're here to talk about the Norse pantheon as we see it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe today. And so let's talk about you and your work and why you're the perfect person to talk about this because you are a heathen, correct? Mm -hmm. And, And your work focuses on heathenry and radical queer interpretations of that. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah, can you talk more about like what your work is and how it kind of ties in today? <laughs> yeah. So um, I first started being more public about this. Um, oh God, back in like 2016 or something like that. Um, because I felt like there weren't enough voices that were, I don't want to say stridently because that has some weird connotations, but um, there weren't enough voices that were comfortably and loudly anti-racist within the community. Yes. And, um, and I mean, there are amazing people doing wonderful work that I, you know, learned as I go. My podcast is actually called the heathens journey because I consider myself always learning and it's more sharing the learning as I go. Um, it's always a journey. (laughs) Yes. Um, so I started that back in I think 2016 I started writing for Little Red Tarot about runes and I was just writing one article on each of the runes um and kind of diving into some of their modern interpretations you know sure like fehu means uh wealth but it also means cattle and what does that mean to us when you know like most people aren't necessarily raising cattle. Yeah, we don't have a cattle-based economy, which is probably like good because I wouldn't want cows in my backyard. As much as I like cows, like we have a different definition of what is bounty and wealth. Yes, totally. So kind of like looking through those and honoring, at the same time, like honoring the older, um, you know, knowledge and interpretation and also like looking at it from a more modern lens. And I am a non-binary person and queer and married to another non-binary person so um the queerness just kind of brings itself and I also before I started doing all of this Norse research I um had conceived of the Norse pantheon as being very like toxically masculine as being very like all about fighting and and like toughness and stuff. And now that I'm getting into it, it's really, there's so much more fluidity in uh, the Norse pantheon that a lot of people give credit for. There's a lot of like really amazing um, women slash feminine characters who are fulfilling what we might traditionally see as a man's role. Um, There are a lot of men who take on feminine qualities um, or masculine people who take on feminine qualities in throughout the myths and it's all, it all gets queered it just yeah. all gets queered <laughs> and like to kind of make a pun like the locus of a lot of that queerness is Loki like yes yeah Loki is like the most gender fluid queer god or you know you know non-binary deity like Loki has several children which they give birth to <laughs> yes human so like yeah my favorite I think Loki story is like the the Aesir I think the Odin's folk they want to like not pay their contractor for Valhalla (laughs) and they're like Loki we made this deal where if he doesn't finish by this day we don't have to pay him so could you go distract him he's like well I can't distract him but he's got a horse and then nine months later, Loki's got like an eight head, eight, eight like a horse baby. <laughs> Guys, yes. I took one for the team there. Yes, I actually okay. saw a really beautiful piece of art that depicted Loki in a very maternal way, yeah. just like cradling Sleipnir and... I don't know, just like being very maternal with um, all of their children. And it was very refreshing because you don't see that as often. There was, you know, back in on tum- the Tumblr days, um, there was a meme of like Odin appearing in the first Thor movie, like riding Sleipnir. And Noki's like, that is my son you're riding. <laughs> yes. How dare you? <laughs> How dare um, you bring my child into battle? Like, don't, don't bother. It's your grandchild. Don't bring him into these fights with it's, it's his ridiculous uncle. So yeah, I like this life near just kind of show up in the uh, Thor movie very briefly. 
So yes. yet the Norse gods are also in such an interesting position in our culture now because of the MCU and how like ubiquitous Thor and Loki specifically have become in the pop culture. And like, they're like, you know, I mean, Zeus and the Athenian and the Olympians are all quite entrenched in our popular culture and have been for centuries, but like Thor and Loki and the Norse are really having a moment thanks to the MCU. So like, just as like a heathen, like what's your first response to that? Because it is so complex to see like the characters who you worship, like these deities that you have a personal relationship with depicted in like billion dollar movies. And I find like that's hard for me sometimes to like separate the, you know, my personal relationship with a God to like how they show up on TV and film. Yeah. So um, I will admit, actually, I don't know that I'm the perfect person to have on your podcast (laughs) because I actually um, am not a huge fan of superhero movies. Um, I have some trauma around them, so I tend to avoid them, actually. Um, But I did do my homework before hopping on the podcast. Um, so I think it's interesting. I think that, um, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird and cool. Um, and I just kind of went along my merry way. And then I noticed that online, a lot of people were kind of blending MCU stuff with their heathenry. And I was like, that feels, I don't like how that feels. That feels strange. Um, and I mean, like you do you, this is your personal, you know, gnosis, this is your personal spirituality, but, um, in watching the movies, like they really don't feel like the same characters at all to Mm me. And so they're so distinct in my mind, you know, there's the MCU, uh, deities that are being used almost like, I wouldn't say only in name because it's more than that, but they're so different. Um, and their relationships to one another are so different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Like Thor and Loki don't have the whole like brother drama stuff going on in any of the mythology. Like Loki likes to screw with Thor, but Thor kind of has it coming <laughs> most of the time. Right. Well, and Loki isn't even Thor's brother. Yeah, he's not. Like there's no familial relationship with Loki in the mythology, which is like they really went played fast and loose with all the actual familial relations like Loki and Frigga is, that's not a thing. Odin, none of that's a thing. Like, (laughs) yeah, like, nope, nope, none of that. Okay, you just forgot this one god and you know, Balder, who cares about him? I think he shows up in the comics, but not in that same Right, yeah. And here's the thing is that I think that with the MCU, they're telling a story, right? And it's compelling to have Loki and Thor be like brothers, um, because in the mythology, Loki is the has like sworn a blood oath with Odin. Mm-hmm. And so that is the betrayal of Loki is he's betraying Odin and he's betraying the oath that he has sworn. And in the culture that it originally comes from, oath breaking is like the really bad. Yeah, one of the worst yeah. things you can do. Yeah, so Loki being an oathbreaker is really, you know, pivotal in the in the mythology, but we don't have that same cultural instinct now. Oh. So there had to be some other kind of drama that they would, you know, kind of infuse into the story and that being, you know, the the competition between Thor and Loki for rulership um mm-hmm. as brothers. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The way that's like the MCU and like our current like obsession with superhero movies is, is really, I think it's in some ways, it's sort of our new mythology. This is like, I'm cribbing this from something Tom Hiddleston actually said in one of his early interviews about Thor is like, this is like our epic tales. These are our epic stories. And, you know, these are our Volsung saga now. This is our Iliad, but it just happens to be have a billion dollar budget. And so these are not like the same characters, but I think some, in some ways, culturally, they're serving the same purpose as like a uniting epic story for all of us. And it's, you know, a lot of it's allegorical too, but depends on the movie, I think. Yes. And I actually really agree with that. So as I was doing research, um, I'm a terminal bookworm um, and academic. So of yeah. course, I like pulled up some um you know, popular culture, like criticism, um, like from an academic, like library. Um, And this is from the article, um, Comic Books as Modern American Mythology by 
I perswakli. It's a very Polish name or something. Okay. So I, yeah. I do not know how to pronounce them. Maybe I can send it to you. Yeah, but um, I wrote down this quote. Um, Old beliefs, opinions, and rituals lose their meanings and become traditions without functionality. And so myth as a statement of a primal reality which lives in present day life and as justifi justification by precedent supplies a retrospective pattern of moral values. So myth is therefore an indispensable ingredient of all culture, but it is, as we have seen, constantly regenerated, Yeah, constantly changing to suit the historic moment. Yeah. And that's and, what this is. And it's interesting when you look at like the North um, mythology, like our primary sources for that are actually very limited. Like the Eddas are, very, we've only got like two sources and they're very, they came after Christianization. So like we have like a very late version of this, these mythologies that are probably not the entire thing. They're not the entire canon. They're, they're filtered through some Christian Christianization and those lenses. And so we don't know if these are the only stories. There's even like, I know some theorizing that like Loki was not even a character initially and was added to like create like a devil character. There's all sorts of different theories about like the poetic Edda and the prose Edda and how they functioned. And so, yeah, I think myth needs to change and grow and kind of, you know, that's because our cultures grow. Like, we, like you said, we don't use cattle anymore, but those runes can still be instructive to us in terms of like, what is the equivalent of cattle today? And what is the equivalent of oath breaking today? It's, you know, betraying your brother and your father. Right, exactly. I think that, um, it's interesting too, because even the source works that we have conflict. Yeah. And that is a theme across, you know, studying all forms of mythology and folklore. Like it's not just within the Nordic sphere. I think pretty famously of, you know, like King Arthur, oh, right? Yeah. Like, so there, there's like a stub of a mention of Arthur and suddenly it became this whole thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, the addition of Lancelot as the French knight and like mm -hmm. all of these, you know, aspects of it, it grows and it changes and it morphs over time. And I think that's really what we're seeing now. And um, because the characters are so different, I like, it's funny, like part of me is like, this doesn't feel like these, they don't feel like the gods that I know, right? They don't <laughs> feel like the gods that I pray to or the gods that I have met in um, ritual, but they're a continuation yeah. in literature. Like yeah. they're a literary continuation, I would say. Yeah, I also think like putting on like my pop culture criticism hat, not so much for Loki, but for like Thor as a character across the MCU, he has been the most, the character that's changed most movie to movie. Like they haven't gotten like a consistent characterization for him. Like he's the first Thor movie. He's like very Shakespearean sort of. And, you know, they make fun of Shakespeare in the park and the Avengers. And it's very like dramatic and heightened. And that's taken seriously in the first Thor movie. But then in the, in the Avengers movie, it's kind of like the butt of the joke. And then in like Thor, the dark world, that's just sort of a eh, movie. <laughs> um, but then, in, <laughs> but then like somewhere along the way, they realize, oh wait, Chris Hemsworth is really funny. Like let's make Thor Ragnarok a comedy. And so like Thor in Thor Ragnarok is a very different person from Thor in Thor. And like, there's a through line in that performance. Like I think Chris Hemsworth does a great job. And when you look like that, there's like, <laughs> doing half the work when your arms are the size of small children um but and then like Thor Ragnarok does so much character work on Thor and on Loki and then like Avengers Infinity War and Endgame comes like no 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 we're gonna go back and undo everything and we're gonna go back to angsty and then you're gonna be fat Thor and then you'll be the butt of the joke for the whole Endgame so it's very frustrating as like a fan of that character in that world that they keep changing who Thor is and you know, props to Chris Hemsworth for like meeting the challenge every time, but it's very hard to like find like, okay, who is Thor as a character? Cause there's like very changing across the movies. And I think Loki though, he stays much more consistent. He's like, he's Loki. He's the, he's the most fun on screen. <laughs> and he's yes, his, absolutely. Like, emo angry at his dad stuff, but he's just like, he's just fun. Yeah. I think that Thor, Thor is so interesting because, um, 
I always think of him as like the quintessential himbo, right? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like <laughs> like Thor is here with his hammer and he's going to solve problems with his hammer. Yeah. Hammer first, talk later. And I think, the, I think that's one of the ways that like the MCU Thor is pretty consistent with like mythology Thor. He's like, how can I, how can I, he's an inciting, a walking inciting incident as I heard another character <laughs> refer to. He's like, what yes. problems can I cause here? And he's such a like a himbo. And so that like his, you know, hammer first talk later attitude is so evident to everyone around him that everyone's like ah oh yeah well we'll dress you up as a bride <laughs> yes <laughs> I was actually gonna I wanted to touch on that myth because it's one of my very favorites yeah and it's another myth where Loki and Thor are traveling together right yeah. um because they do very often yeah they're um they're good you know but like not really buddy cops they're like a, a great story um starter like it's like you know the the himbo and the smart one who's gonna you know the the brains and the brawn yes i particularly love um neil gaiman's uh retelling of that myth mm-hmm. because i can almost see like the gods are like oh we need some we need freya to go marry this um ogre so that um you know Thor can get his hammer back and Freya's like I have better things to do than deal with this right now and then um everybody's like okay so we need to send someone in disguise as Freya and everybody kind of turns to Loki like in my brain like when I'm thinking of this myth (laughs) everybody turns to Loki and is like ah yes the trickster who can shapeshift and Thor is just like I will do it put me in the pretty dress (laughs) yeah and then Loki essentially has to go with him to like babysit him and like make sure that he is feminine enough to yeah. and Loki <laughs> also like if if you know in the modern version of this Loki would have his phone out like recording the whole thing like just... oh yes oh yeah oh, yes. I'm never letting Thor forget this one <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely so I think that's just really interesting and I think it also shows Thor as one of the more I think of Thor as one of the more like masculine of the gods right you know like he he does do this but the humor of the Edda is that it's Thor doing it that it's you know that he's so masculine that it's unusual that he cross-dresses yeah um that's the that's the fun part you know it's that's why you know you think of these stories being told like around a fire centuries ago and like this would kill this would be so funny like you know oh yeah it's Thor and it's you know and there's I think there's even something in that myth about like oh honey your beard's really pretty <laughs> yes your eyes are shining very brightly <laughs> like your beard is very your face is very hairy yeah <laughs> it's like oh grandma what big eyes do you have <laughs> yes, oh Freya, exactly. what a lovely beard you have and yeah it's just it's comedy gold and so like you just this I mean there's even a part like that in the Iliad like uh, sort of a flashback where like Achilles is trying to hide from going to Troy and he dresses up like a girl and Achilles is so pretty that no one like realizes he's not a girl <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but Odysseus is like I know <laughs> Uh, yeah I think it's yeah and I think it also kind of that myth serves to highlight um Loki in particular's like non-binary identity Mm -hmm. right because like the humor is that it's the really masculine one going and doing these things but he's being babysat by the trickster shapeshifter god yeah um like along the way and I just really I find that really juicy (laughs) yeah so yeah, Loki is certainly my favorite character in the entire MCU. Like I was a fan of Loki and like every trickster character like before the MCU. Like it's always been part of my, you know, spiritual journey, but also part of just how much I like stories. Like the tricksters are always the ones having the most fun. And so Loki, like I, you know, I love a good trash boy with daddy issues. Like that's, you know, I'm I grew up in the 90s and I love Tumblr. So it's like Loki, Spike, Phantom, like, come on. If you're like sad and wearing black, I'm there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think like Loki as a character, like combined like those two sort of separate tropes. It's like, okay, you got the trickster, but you also got like the, somebody said it was like the opposite of the manic pixie dream girl. It was like the depressive, um, 
nightmare god or something the i think it's like the depressive nightmare bat boy or something yeah (laughs) yeah and so like that kind of character trope and bringing it with the trickster is like it was great and i you know the that's why i really like thor as a movie because it's more like a shakespearean family drama and there's a lot of i think it succeeded um so well because part of you is rooting for loki you feel bad for him and he has so much pathos throughout that movie and that great scene where he confronts odin about like hey i'm adopted again not really mythology based but you know right you know we've got two it's not even like a comic book scene it's like two great actors confronting each other over family drama it's not you know punching and so i am no more than another stolen relic locked up here until you might have use of me why do you twist my words you could have told me what i was from the beginning why didn't you you're my son i wanted only to protect you from the truth what because I, I, I'm the monster that parents tell their children about at night? Oh. You know, it all makes sense now. Why you favored Thor all these years? Because no matter how much you claim to love me, you could never have a frost giant sitting on the throne of Asgard. That, and so that's why I liked Loki. And I think everyone liked him. Like, okay, well, he's going to be the villain in the Avengers. Like, okay, we beat him, but we can't get rid of him. <laughs> yes he's gonna be that quintessential you know bad gabby want to be good that untrustworthy ally which i think is very much like in line with loki in the mythology because you're like okay we're gonna bring him along we don't know if he's gonna stab us in the back but he's gonna be fun no matter what (laughs) yeah exactly i think that it's um definitely like uh in the mythology loki is a figure is kind of a wild card and I actually think um it was really clever how in Ragnarok Loki is the one that causes Ragnarok but it just is very different right yeah it's not Loki riding in on a ship of dead men's toenails um to which is the grossest thing (laughs) (laughs) no I know the Norse were very good at having just like really metal and disturbing images. Yeah, like, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the sky is blue because it's an eyeball. You're the dead giant's eyeball. It's like it's gross, guys. It's gross. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, in Thor Ragnarok, it's not Loki riding in on the ship of toenails to kill the gods. It's oh, we need to destroy Asgard because that's the only way we can destroy Hela, which. Okay, so like I yeah. could suspend my disbelief so far and, and then Hela as a villain happened and I was like, Come oh on, God. God. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's, I think Hela is like the weakest part of that movie. Like she's not really a terribly interesting, like, well, she's interesting if you think of her as like an allegory for colonialism and her and Odin, like as, you know, like, oh, we're, we're these, murderous past you're where your murderous past that got all this gold and then you threw away and locked away the part the really murderous part and then tried to whitewash your history so i think especially with taika waititi being an indigenous person i think there's a lot of power there but like as an actual as she functions in the story she's just kind of kills a lot of things she doesn't have a lot of like she's the opposite of loki there's no pathos or you know um complex and there's not a lot of complexity there which is really yeah fun. yeah and I feel like you could have done a lot with that character um and Kate Blanchett is just there um, to yeah. have fun it's Kate Blanchett I mean looking awesome and yeah you, you can tell everyone in this movie was having so much fun making Thor Ragnarok yes like that yes it's a, it's so much fun to watch um but yeah I, I think Hela doesn't work in because and like the way they portray like Hela who is in the um and mythology just like hanging out down there in the land of the dead, like not finding her own business. Like that's, that annoys me in the way that annoys me when people like make Hades, like the devil or like, it's like just because someone runs the underworld does not make them the devil or an evil force. They're just doing their job. Usually they're like the most like least least disaster of the pantheon because they're just like, we have to be competent to keep all the dead people like in line here. Well, and in the mythology, she's Loki's daughter. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he- that whole situation, just like my head just like twisted and I was like, what is happening here? But I also then realized that she's a composite character. Yeah. So she's she's not um, just Hella. I think uh, a friend who's really into MCU filled me in on like her being like a composite of three different female villains from the Thor comics. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And it also makes sense why her story feels very, um, I don't want to say weak but it just does it's not as compelling because yeah she's too many things yeah and that's an interesting thing the mcu does both in relation to like the mythology but also in relation to the comics because it's not true to the comics either and like and that's usually good like you don't want to know how the story's going to end i mean you know how that the heroes are going to win but you know i think tony stark's still alive in the comics and I think Captain America is still alive in the comics. He didn't, you know, go off and break time to hang out with his girlfriend. Time's still mad about the end of Endgame, just so you know. Um, but yeah, and so like they take a lot of things from the comics. This is kind of like a good segue to talking about Loki, the show. We have only seen first three episodes. I think episode four will be up by the time this airs. But there's a lot of things they're taking from the comics as inspiration, not so much as like direct adaptation in the show. Um, there's, a, so spoilers for Loki, all of, like the first three episodes, there's a character, there, the whole point of, of Loki is that there are lots of Lokis, which is something that's in the comic. There's Lady Loki and Kid Loki and the character that uh, is introduced in episode two and that Loki spends a lot of episode three talking with is a female version of Loki. Uh, named Sylvie and she's based like the name Sylvie comes from a different comics character who is like created by Loki but isn't a Loki but this this Sylvie is a Loki so it's all you know head explodey um but so have you what what do you think of the Loki series so far because it's very different from you know the Loki we've seen in the movies and he's a different Loki than the one that's in Ragnarok like literally and yeah I think um I actually think it's really interesting the direction that they're going and what they're doing with it um I love that Lady Loki is here I super here for it um and I think it also just kind of adds again to you know like making the implicit queerness of Loki explicit yeah they finally explicitly acknowledge like oh yeah they've both been with men and women or everything in between and yeah yeah and and it's so it's so in character it's like of course Loki's been is bisexual or pansexual like that's just obvious but it's nice to see it explicitly acknowledged in a disney plus yes major show yes and the fact that he's not surprised that one of the lokis is female yeah right you know it's like oh that makes sense um there's not a a weird like head trip moment about that is there Yeah. yeah yeah there's not and he's like there's no loki lacks a lot of toxic masculinity except in this this avengers which it's joss whedon not loki (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> um uh but like he's just yeah he's like oh yeah oh cool I'm a, I'm a cute blonde chick great like and he's he's like he seems to have like a crush on himself which seems very Loki like of course he's gonna kind of yes. want to flirt with himself like that's the only person Loki could ever truly love is Loki and yeah you can make that quite <laughs> like the very much so who can outsmart Loki is Loki the only person who can feel like an equal to Loki is Loki because Loki is all things <laughs> And, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that it's really, um, it's interesting that they're going in this direction. I think it's interesting that they're talking so specifically about um, time travel. And again, like this is maybe me not being super familiar with the comics or, um, you know, the MCU in general, but um, there's this thing that happens with creating mythology now where um, it has to be constantly redone and uh, re-envisioned um, in order to kind of like get to the same like kind of cultural peak or level as you know the the old stories that have persisted um, and I mean what we're really seeing I think in the blending of the time travel um, in, in the Loki show and even the blending of Loki from the comics Loki from the films and Loki from the mythology um, is this like incredible syncretism that Mm -hmm. (laughs) is just like creating this whole new world. And that syncretism has to rely on 
um, like there being multiple timelines, right? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't work otherwise. It has yeah. to be an acknowledgement that there are multiple Lokis and it almost makes it easier for me as like a Norse mythology nerd to swallow. Yeah. And I think like when you look at the poetic eddas and the mythological sources we have, they're a cycle. Like the whole point of Ragnarok is that then we start over again. And so I think yes. that's thematically in line with like Loki, the main sacred timeline MCU Loki, he died after Ragnarok, but now he's back again. And there's all these other different Lokis going through these different timelines and different cycles, like Asgard is reborn. And so these stories are cyclical. Once it ends, once Ragnarok happens, you just rebuild from the ashes and then you go around again. And so I think that that's sort of in line with the mythology and with what we're doing in the MCU right now. It's really interesting. And I'm really enjoying it so far because we're getting to go so deep in this character too. Yes. Um, I actually think that I like the parts best where Loki is not on earth. Yeah. Like, like I like, I don't know. I really liked um, the other, what's the other planet in um, Ragnarok called? Oh, Sakaar. Jeff, yes, the, Jeff, the Jeff Goldblum planet. Like. Yes, yes. I really enjoyed their time on the Jeff Goldblum planet. Um, that was amazing. And um, yeah, I think it just really shines in those aspects. I will also say, so this is something that I've been dying to talk about, and oh, yeah. it has nothing to do with Norse mythology. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I am obsessed with the 70s aesthetic that they're going for with the TVA. Oh, yeah. I love the, like, the production design on Loki is so cool. I'm Michael Waldron, who's like a writer, who's the head writer of the show, he talked about how one of his favorite shows is Mad Men. And you can definitely see that like retro bureaucratic influence in the TVA. And I just love the choices they're making there. And it's so, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. Just They even like did a a cool like cinematic callback to Mad Men when Loki is on the airplane. Mm -hmm. And you see like the cigarette, like, yeah on the armchair and like it, it was I was like oh yes somebody on this show ha- loves Mad Men yeah. so that was really cool but I think that it's really interesting that um it seems like everything 70s are back in style right now um and I don't know I'm just really curious what that means about like the cultural moment that we're going mm-hmm. through um and how maybe like stuff from the 70s is reflecting like a deeper anxiety culturally that we have now yeah, because the 70s, you know, came after the upheaval of the of the 60s. It was when we were trying to, like, find our balance and definitely need that now. For me, you know, I have a, a six-year-old, and the, the thing that's always wild to me is, like, realizing, oh, my God, she's going to feel about the 80s the way I felt about the 60s. Like, that's going to be, like, how distant that is. I'm like, oh, no, maybe the 60s weren't as far away as I thought. Like, oh, and like I crumble into dust and listen when butterfly clips and low-rise jeans got really popular on TikTok I was like I I am a an ancient aged statue about to crumble into dust like (laughs) please youth of today learn from our mistakes don't bring low-rise jeans back our butts were hanging out like for most of the early 2000s it was bad and it was like always a look like because like thongs were in too. You'd have like your low rise jeans and then like the thong. And it's just like that's like a human rights violation. Like, guys, it's not comfortable. It's not good looking. Like, stop. Yes. I oh my God. Um, yeah. And just like a generation of eating disorders being oh born. Like, oh Lord. Anyway, we have veered very far from the yeah. topic. But uh, I, yeah. just, I'm just imagining a Loki in the 90s and his low rise jeans. <laughs> Or his like big Jinko jeans. Oh God. Oh <laughs> Lord. There's so many. I can't wait for, you know, 20 years from now when I get to make fun of whatever weird clothes my kid wears. Like, you wore that. Yes. Um <laughs> amazing. I did love the DB Cooper thing, the the flashback to because I'm from Oregon. So DB Cooper is like one of our like local legends. And so that was oh, super yes. fun. But um, one of the things I want to bring up to you, since you are a student of like the Norse mythology, is kind of this is sort of alluded to um, in the sh- in Thor, uh, the Dark World, and beginning of Ragnarok, is where Loki becomes like he becomes Odin. 
he masquerades as Odin. And there's some theories I know of that, and Loki is so connected to Odin in the mythology that Loki himself was not an individual character. He was just like an aspect of Odin. Like, how do you feel about that? And what can you say about those theories and that part of the mythology? Like, or is like Loki is like the darker side of Odin or not so much dark, but the chaotic side or Odin as like the ruler is. Because in one of the things I found interesting is when the Romans came to meet the Norse, they practice a lot of syncretism. They're like, okay, well, Bridget is like a goddess of like writing and all that sort of thing. So Bridget is Minerva and Thor is Zeus. He's their thunder. Cool. But they made Odin into Mercury, who's their trickster god. And so they don't even mention Loki. And so that I find is very interesting. So <laughs> that was a long question, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that that's an interesting question in my own personal gnosis, like my own personal work with deities, like that hasn't been my experience with Odin, but also there are points where Odin is in disguise very famously, you know, Odin is constantly like, I, I almost see Odin a little bit in the myths as like, he like pulls like a hat on and just like sits in the corner, like giggling while all the gods are like, where's Odin? We have, you know, like a child. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a really interesting theory. And I actually um, would be really interested to read more. I haven't come across that too often, actually. Um, I do think that it is uh, fascinating that Odin became Mercury because to me, Loki is much more yeah. mercurial. Yeah, he's like the very, he's pretty clear. They're both the tricksters, yeah. Yeah, well, and Odin is also um, a transgressive in terms of gender. Um, Can you talk about that more? Because I think that's fascinating. Yes, so so Odin is transgressive in terms of gender. There's a fantastic uh, master's thesis uh, written by Amy Jeffords Frank called Amy Jefford Franks, um, called a queer tear, tear being the word for God, and also a God. Basically, it's all about Odin's gendered performance. And so Odin is constantly um, taking on the uh, feminine qualities in order to learn, you know, quote unquote, women's magic. He, you know, in some aspects, uh, basically steals knowledge from a lot of women yeah. um, in the mythology. Um, he is known to have had sex with men as well, like the sex act. And there's a point where, um, oh, goodness, I don't know what it is, but I can't remember the name of this particular poem in the Ada there's a poem where Odin is in disguise and uh, battles, like calls Thor to a battle of wits in order to get across a river. Mm -hmm. Um, And they start just throwing insults back and forth. Um, And Thor uh, insults Odin by calling him, I believe, Oh my goodness. I'm like so nervous to say the wrong thing. Um, but Thor basically says, you know, you have had sex with everything. Yeah. Um, which again, so is Loki's. So. Right. Yeah. And there was even a term in old Norse, um, Ergi, which mm-hmm. is the uh, term for a man who bottoms basically. Interesting. Yes. And so I believe at some point in that myth, I'd have to reference it but I'd have to reference it in the old Norse so it would take too long for the podcast Um, you can talk in old Norse that's really cool yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I believe it at one point um Thor Thor may even refer to Odin as Ergi yeah so like that's both I it's so interesting the similarities and like that Thor and not Thor Odin and Loki have and you know, for me, Loki is so much like the real, well, quote unquote real, like the Loki that I experience in my spiritual practice is very much occupies some of the same spaces as Odin, where it comes like the unknown and the numinous and the chthonic, because they're both Mm -hmm. associated with, for me, with prophecy and the other world. And, you know, the hanged man is sort of where I see Odin in the tarot. And because that's, you know, how Odin learned the runes. And I see so much of Loki there because he's also a transformative and transcript. And so I think that there's a, so much to dissect there and for people to, you know, discover in their own practice. But I think that there's an, it's, it's an interesting nod in the films where like 
Loki literally becomes Odin for a little while and you know he's not very good at it <laughs> but <ever. laughs> no it's pretty clear that it's Loki and not Odin just having some yeah. fun there yeah I actually so while you were talking I, I did uh pull up and confirm that yes good. Odin is referred to as Ergi so we do know that Odin bottomed nice nice yes I, I I'm it's so interesting to me like it's in both the Greek and the Norse mythologies there's so much queerness and mm-hmm. um, especially among like the male characters and we it's so much of that had been erased until recently because you know we were coming at it from like this Christian heteronormative perspective and like you know yeah Zeus and Apollo had like lots of boyfriends like they were up for anything with anyone as any species also <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know how you get a girl is you pretend turn to a swan. That's how you get the lady. Right. Yes. Um. Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting. Um. One of the arguments that I've seen for why we don't see as many uh sapphic or um lesbian um kind of figures amongst the goddesses is um a very like phallic centric idea of what sex is. Mm -hmm. so like oh if there's not a penis present it's not sex so it's just not talked about in the same way so it's harder for us to find those sapphic characters in Mm -hmm. mythology although I would argue that they're definitely there it's just um our contemporary ideas of what queerness is and what gender and sexuality even are are so different from what people conceived of in the past right yeah so yeah we have a very specific to our culture view of these things and you have to look at like these mythologies in context like for both like the Greeks and the Norse like you talk about how Odin is you know bottoming or sleeping with men and for like these warrior cultures where a lot of things were like okay we have warriors or you know Vikings going off on a boat for several months to go pillage something like who are they else are they going to have sex with like they got needs (laughs) Right. Um, and so like, even, that was never looked down on, I don't think. They're like, oh, yeah, fine, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, and there are even, um, there's actually in one of the sagas, there is um, a trans mask character. Oh, cool. Um, because she is described as uh, always having been very masculine and then uh, t- typical Nordic saga thing. She finds out who her true father is and then has to go, um, uh, has to go like learn from his burial mound. So she basically goes and like raises her father from the dead. Like um, you do. Yeah. That's, that's one like way to do. Get, yeah. That's one way to work out your daddy issues. <laughs> right. And then, you know, there, there's the exchange of a magical sword and stuff like that. But, um, in order to do all of this, the character, basically transitions into being a man Mm -hmm. and it's hard to use pronouns for them um because they eventually detransition um Mm -hmm. end up having children yeah playing like a maternal role so it's really interesting and i mean even like within the saga like the pronouns for the main character change the name changes from the feminine form to the masculine form like it is truly a transition not just like oh, this person is, you know, in disguise. Yeah. And one of the things that we haven't talked about in terms of like gender transgressive characters in the Norse mythology, like the Valkyrie, like they're awesome. And they're like, you know, I'm all warrior goddesses are the ones I find the most like personally resonant for me as like a queer woman, because they're like, they're inherently transgressive. They're women taking on that masculine role. And you find them across all cultures, which is amazing. And the Valkyrie are just super cool and badass. And we have Tessa Thompson yes. as Valkyrie, which is her name, which is odd. Um, <laughs> in like, you're a Valkyrie, but your name is Valkyrie. Okay, fine. <laughs> right. Um, it's like you couldn't been giving her like a real name. I'm sure she's got one, but like she, like she wanted her, like the character is bisexual. There were scenes in the movie showing her bisexuality, but they cut those out because Disney. Um, but hopefully we'll see that more in later films. Uh, but I think that the Valkyries are such an interesting, as I mean, in all ways, they're great. They are, they're super interesting. And um, I think that's something that a lot of kind of, 
you know, people who are just casually interested in Norse stuff, not like me, I am very <laughs> not casually yeah, interested. casual, really? <laughs> yeah. Quote, quote, you're quoting quotes in, in Old Norse. I think, yeah, I think you passed casual. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, both the Valkyrie are, um, they answer to both Odin and Freya. Yeah. So like Odin takes half of the slain and then Freya takes half of the slain. And it is the Valkyrie who are actually kind of like the mercy or the like their role is to choose. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually, so I think it's really bizarre that a lot of heathens are like, I will go to Valhalla after death because Valhalla is where every single day- Waiting to fight another battle, like- Yes, but you train every single day and you die every single day in Valhalla. So it's basically like- Yes. And so it's basically like reliving your trauma over and over and over again. Whereas Freya's afterlife is the beautiful hall where you can just drink and have fun. And so like, yeah, I'm no, I, I want that one. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to Freya. Like I'm not, I'm not going with Odin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the Valkyrie have a very interesting place there. And then if you, if you read the poetic Edda, there's a really beautiful, um, I mean, this, this is, you know, the uh, inspiration for um, the the ring cycle, um, Wagner's ring cycle. It's yeah. the inspiration for a lot of um, beautiful art, uh, but the uh, Sigurd um, cycle yeah. within the Poetic Edda where, um, you know, a warrior and a Valkyrie fall in love because the Valkyrie oh. said that you know, she basically says, like, I will never fall in love with anybody unless they are as brave as I am. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then that sounds like a she challenge. meets someone who, <laughs> right, yes. And then, she, you know, she meets someone who is as brave as her. Um, and it's it's a beautiful love story. And there are also just, like, a ton of um, other Valkyrie roles or other kind of uh, not... I hesitate to call them goddesses because the Valkyrie are kind of like their own being of people, right? Mm-hmm. But there are all of these other roles that Valkyries can play. And there are also more than three Norns. Yeah. So like there are all of these different um, kind of feminine figures just like floating in the wings and doing their own thing, which is beautiful. And I think it's interesting, like with like Loki and Odin and the Valkyrie that these sort of gender transgressive characters are sort of also like the psychopomps. And the ones that sort yes. of straddle multiple worlds. And I think that that's very in line with being straddling multiple genders. And yes. And like, you know, the more that I think about it, since you brought up, um, you know, Odin and Loki being, or Loki being a certain face of Loki, uh, Loki being <laughs> a certain face of Odin, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It really does. It really resonates. So, um, we're kind of coming to the end. So for people who want to find more of your work or work with you in any sort of workshops or that sort of thing, where can people find you and your work online? So yes. You've got your own podcast. You've got a Patreon, I think. It's all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. I've got a whole, a whole lot happening. Um, so you can find me on social media on Instagram. I'm at northern.lights.witch and on Twitter at northlightwitch. And um, on in other places, I am on Patreon as Northern Lights Witch. Um, you can listen to my podcast, which is a Heathen's Journey podcast. Um, I I try to do like a deep dive uh, episode and then an interview and kind of like uh, switch off between those. Um, and I also actually am teaching a six week class intensive on runes uh, starting on Monday. Monday, July 5th. Oh, so yeah, you so guys, that so is, it's like three days to sign up. Go, go, go. <laughs> yes. So if that is something that you're interested in, um, I would love to have you in class. It's a, a deep dive into like finding queerness within the runes, finding queerness within ourselves and um, getting to know rune magic. Um, I have had a couple of questions about, is it okay for beginners? And it absolutely is. The only thing that I would say is that you should probably have a set of runes Mm -hmm. for the class. Um, 
I have a set but, that's three of them are like rocks I've had to paint because I lost three rooms. <laughs> so I'm like, well, oh, no. get some gold <laughs> paint here. And so these are, I, these are my special ones. Yeah. Yes. I, um, I also, uh, this summer launched a shop online. Yeah. It's got all sorts of cool stuff in there. Yes. So I do have rune sets that were actually created by my rune teacher's husband. Oh, cool. So they're like blessed by mm-hmm. the vulva who's like a nordic witch um and or a nord like nordic witch psychopomp seer oh. the vulva has a whole lot of amazing roles but yes um and uh i also have you know just like a lot of items that are useful for your general witchcraft practices candles that kind of thing so you, you can find too many candles <laughs> i know right um you can find all of that at northernlightswitch.com Awesome. So I have a nerdy rune question. So what is your opinion on the rune sets that have the blank rune? I've heard that that is something that was added later in the history of the runes. And I had always associated with like the blank tile and Mahjong sets. And I've heard that it actually was influenced by Mahjong. So what is your take on the blank rune? I don't use it personally. Yeah. Um, I just, so I often will do rune casts or rune webs, um, Mm -hmm. which basically involves me casting the runes onto a cloth. And then I will often remove all of the runes that turned up, um, that basically showed up like blank side up or like Mm -hmm. backside up. Um, because then I'm just reading the runes that show up. So if I have a blank rune in there, then like, if I'm doing it, yeah, there's no point. I'm just going to remove it anyway. So, um, so I don't personally use it. I've heard some people use it if they're like pulling runes from the bag. Um, but it just, it doesn't make too much sense to me. Like if I were to use it, I would probably say like, if that rune comes up, like, oh, I'm just not supposed to know. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's like, it's, sort of, it's the unknown. It's the un, yeah. But I think right. somebody actually told me that because in Mahjong there, like there are three special tiles. There's like fortune and there's China it's also called center. And then there's like, Oh, a lot of Chinese people call it the picture frame, but it was initially just like a blank tile. And that I think influenced, um, I'm forgetting the name of this author who like, but he wrote like the book of the runes that everyone's gotten. He's like, yeah, there's a blank one because now it makes everything lines up nicely. And Oh, would that have been Ralph Bloom? Yes. Yes. I think that Bloom sounds right. So um, pro tip, um, most like, uh, really serious like professional room readers and stuff that I know are just like oh Ralph Bloom like doesn't make any sense yeah that's what I've heard I'm like I got that book like 20 years ago I'm like well it's a, it's a pretty book <laughs> it is a beautiful book and it comes like it's sold in a lot of stores with like a rune yeah, set yeah, so that's if you're like, like oh. it came with the rune set yeah <laughs> yes yeah so totally understand the appeal of it um and also read other books yeah too <laughs> always read more than one book Always read yes. because you can never have too many books. Yeah. Yeah. That's how class sounds really interesting. I may sign up or I may not because I'm writing a book right now and I'm so little time. Ooh. Oh yeah. I'm writing a book about supernatural and I'm almost done. But nice. Yeah. But Loki shows up in supernatural too. And of course yeah. he does. Of course he does. But he's some but then it turns out he's the angel archangel Gabriel. And then it turns out there's also an actual Loki out there, and then they all die. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a whole takes several whole cycle, several years. Um, but I like that Loki's never really dead in Supernatural either. Like he'll he'll be back. He's fine. <laughs> he's right. stabbed. Yeah. He's fine. He's fine. Don't worry. Nothing ever dies in Supernatural. Nothing. Like. like the whole so the final episode just didn't happen. Fifteen's <laughs> right. fine. <laughs> that one died. Like they're all fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's gonna be a prequel now and whatever. <laughs> so right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this awesome discussion. Um, hopefully we'll have you on again. We can talk about labyrinth and yes. or something. So thank you. So yes. Thank you for listening. As I've mentioned, the podcast is now on Patreon and soon we'll be starting our bonus features, which will have some content from this episode. We went a bit far afield from the MCU in this one, but it was a really fun discussion. So we're going to put that up as a bonus episode. Um, if you want to hear that and get in on some fun stuff, including some a Discord server and some movie nights and such that are going to be starting up this July, go out to patreon.com slash realmagic. 
As always, you can support us by leaving a new review of the podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe, you can tweet about the podcast, or follow us on Twitter at RealMagicPod. I'm on Twitter under FangirlingChess. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode at the crossroads of Hollywood and the magical world. So until then, stay safe out there and keep looking for your own glorious purpose. Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye bye. bye, bye. Goodbye to life. Bye bye. bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye, goodbye to. Life. <laughs>